Greetings, everyone. I'm Vicki Basilica, Director of the Clinical Specialists and Scientists section here at ASHP, and thank you for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional program from the 2022 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. So one thing I do want to talk about, kind of shifting gears a little bit here, is COVID and bacterial infections. So COVID um, has been associated, excuse me, with um, increased rate of bacterial infections or co-infections. And this is something we even noticed um, when I was um, in practice with the infectious disease outpatient group. And we noticed, you know, um, after not just bacteria, but also fungal infections were increased. Um, however, you know, when you really look at this, um, you know, 3.5% of patients developed bacterial co-infection prior to admission. So they came in, you know, to the hospital with COVID plus a bacterial infection, but that's still low compared to like influenza, which is about 30% or a third of patients. 14% did develop a secondary bacterial infection after they were initially diagnosed with COVID. So they first were identified as COVID, and then later on in the course of the hospital stay, they developed bacterial um, infections. And then, um, again, about roughly about a third to two-thirds of patients um, on a ventilator developed um, VAP or ventilator-associated pneumonia versus only 10% of patients who don't have COVID. So this is a risk about three to six times that somebody will um, develop ventilator-associated pneumonia who's on a ventilator who has COVID versus somebody who's on a ventilator who doesn't have COVID that's on it for a different infection. So it's definitely, um, you know, the way I look at it is patients who have COVID who are in the ICU on a ventilator, really, you don't want to just kind of narrow your vision down to just COVID, but also look for bacterial, concurrent bacterial infections. So with this study, um, again, they had 887 COVID-19 um, positive patients. Of them, 132 required medical, um, mechanical ventilation. 70% um, um, or 93 of them tested positive for secondary infection of which 60% were diagnosed with ventilator-associated pneumonia or um, healthcare-associated pneumonia. There was an 80% coordinates between bacterial culture and a rapid test, which is good because, again, um, bacterial culture is often what, um, especially when you're talking about some you know, older school prior physicians, they'll rely on that. But getting the results quickly with a PCR um, and having good coordinates, 80%, is definitely very promising. Um, fortunately, 50% of those who were culture negative um, had received antibiotics, and that could have prevented if, you know, the physicians or providers, um, including us, you know, with stewardship or infectious disease, did rely on PCR testing. And then just looking at the sensitivity specificity, um, there was, you know, essentially they had strict and less strict criteria, and these were just the thresholds of um, whether or how much virus um, we're laying again back to cycle counts that Dr. Farrell's talking about. So when you look um, here, you know, really the sensitivity for both for the PCR um, is still high, you know, at least eight, close to 80% and up. Um, the specificity is extremely high. So still a reliable test, um, something definitely, uh, you know, that um, I think needs to be used more in clinical practice. When we look at what other, other infections have occurred, you know, out of these, um, you know, from these secondary or um, concurrent bacterial infections, you see here, you know, it's divided here on the left is the um, ventilator associated pneumonia or healthcare associated pneumonia, on the right is the community acquired pneumonia. And we see, you know, at a certain degree, um, 
you know, not really, I would say, surprising organisms when we're talking about ventilators, sociopneumonia, pseudomonas, MRSA, Klebsiella pneumoniae. Um, while more the community side, we're going to see um, Haemophilus influenza, strep pneumo, again, more of our um, community-acquired organisms. So, um, in, of just an, an interesting note, I thought there was 13 samples that were positive for bacterial fun, fungi that were um, under the, cult, the traditional culture cessation test that were not part of the panel. And this is just the reason I wanted to bring this up is you just have to keep in mind on what organisms are on your multiplex panel. Because if it's not on the panel, that's not going to test for it. So even if it's there, it's not going to give you a result. So that's where, you know, there still is, I believe, value for our traditional cultural susceptibilities. Um, and in this case, as you see, we had, you know, a few virus and, I'm sorry, a few bacteria and fungi showed up um, that wouldn't have been identified otherwise if we just relied on um, PCR testing. And so, um, you know, really main thing here, um, I would say with the multiplex systems, one thing to look at is, you know, does it have COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 um, on there because it's high incidence? Does it have other or viruses um, listed or, you know, that's tests for, um, especially ones that are more common based on your own culture, set stability, based on your own, um, I would say, epidemiological data in your area. Um, and then, you know, are there, um, all, does it also test for bacterial genes that are linked to antibiotic resistance? So when we look at these multiplex systems, um, there's ones for, again, upper respiratory um, infections. Um, and most of these test more for viruses because, again, more of your community-acquired pneumonia, upper respiratory are going to be viruses. So most of these panels test for viruses with a few bacteria, while the pneumonia panels, um, these are going to be looking at more of the bacterial, um, a lot more bacteria than they are um, viruses, if any viruses at all. And they do look typically at resistance because this is where we're more likely to see, again, at pseudomonas, we're likely to see the um, Dacinidobacter, um, the MRSA, so the more resistant organisms, which we want to know what they're resistant to. And here's just an example. Um, the main thing I just want to really point out here, um, these are some of the commercial panels, is luckily, you know, um, out of the ones that are available, um, you know, when you look at um, SARS-CoV-2, most of the panels do have that on there. Um, a lot of your differences are going to be um, more with the viruses, um, especially the viruses um, that are um, being tested. And to a lesser degree, you'll have some changes that are differences in the bacteria, especially whether they typical bacteria are being tested for or not. So um, again, these should be considered when there is suspected, um, you know, respiratory um, infection, obviously. It should be considered patient symptomatic um, and when the viral loads are high because, you know, again, to make sure you have a, keep a high sensitivity. And then again, if possible, nasopharyngeal testing is um, recommended. As far as um, when we look at um, the performance of these tests, um, and this is, you know, the negative, um, performance versus, you know, positive. FDA, and I believe it's, um, so across pretty much the different tests, the gold standard is greater than 95% um, and a negative um, predictive accuracy is greater than 99%. Um, so very high, and this is really for it to be just kind of even considered 
um, when it's being approved. So um, one of the tests, I would say, the thing to kind of keep an eye out for is most pa test patients had viruses um, that showed good agreement. So you know, typically, if you have something with RSV, ad um, adenovirus, um, influenza A, you're going to have, or um, even human meta pneumovirus, you're going to have good agreement. So there's going to be a reliable result, really, with regardless of which test you use. Depending on the panel, panel version, which is another thing I want to point out, these panels are updated. A lot of times, they're more software updates, but also the, the um, antigens that they're using um, to identify these organisms um, do change. And so a lot of times, we see them expand, um, which is a good thing. We see more and more bacteria and viruses added. But with some of the older panels, or even just the difference between some of the companies and others, some update their panels a lot more rapidly or often than others, in which case you do have um, additional um, organisms added that have become more prevalent. So again, respiratory panels overall do very well. I'm not really going to nitpick between them. Um, again, as long as you're really meeting um, the requirements as far as you know, symptomatic patients who are um, you're doing nasal pharyngeal testing, the person who's actually doing the testing is skilled at that. The one you know, I'd say area, um, as far as it goes, is pediatrics. They typically have lower sensitivity. So um, in those patients, you know, just because you have a negative test doesn't necessarily mean it truly is negative, even though it is a PCR-based um, test. And then again, this is just um, kind of leading me into the second point. Um, again, just another test. And here, the main thing I just wanted to point out is, you know, in this test from 2021, so from last year, patients with COVID-19, just using multiplex PCR, they, um, they looked at, so, you know, bronchial lavage um, versus endotracheal aspirates versus sputum. And what you see really to get, um, to get a positive result, um, you, you know, when you're doing a bronchial lavage, because you're going deep into the lung, you don't need as much essentially bacteria um, or virus to test positive, where when you go to an endotracheal aspirate, you do need more. Speedum's going to have the lowest volume of virus. So for that case, it, its sensitivity kind of drops. So um, again, obvious benefits to these multiplex um, and PCR-based testing is less labor-intensive, especially a lot of them are automated now. Quicker turnaround time, which I would say is one of the big benefits of it. Multiple organisms can be identified at one time, um, and there are definitely a lot higher sensitivity. Less obvious benefits, I would say, is organisms, um, you know, you still could identify an organism even after you have an antibiotic, because the organism doesn't need to be alive to identify them using a PCR-based testing. You just need essentially parts of the organism for it to, um, to identify it. And, um, you know, it also gives you a bigger window to identify an organism, even if somebody was not antibiotics, but their immune system already has been fighting that respiratory infection, you could still identify the infection using these panels. So how does this translate clinically? Faster decisions, hopefully by, you know, antimicrobial stewardship, pharmacists phys um, and physicians alike. Um, more appropriate use of antibiotics, since we know at least some degree what the resistance, um, what resistance may be present, especially with those bacterial infections. Um, so we won't use, you know, kind of antibiotics that don't work. Um, we're not waiting to haul, you know, three to five days to get a culture back. And then, um, you know, definitely um, these have um, improved, or I would say relatively good at reimbursement by insurance. So it's another big benefit.
um, really kind of the limitations, I would say, is cost is still high. Um, you can't really tell a company, hey, I want to add this organism to this panel. You know, it's pretty much what you get is what you get. Um, so you're restricted by what's being offered by that given panel and the uh, um, manufacturer of it. And then again, keeping in mind, you know, in pediatrics, these are not as sensitive as they, um, as in adults. And lastly, um, there's, especially recently, there's been more complications with um, Centers for Medicaid and Medicare reimbursing it. Um, especially in the past, some hospitals tried to like, if you have 20 antibiotic or 20 bacteria on a panel, try to bill each one individually um, versus as one test, which was very expensive from the insurance standpoint. So there's still issues going on with that. And that was actually um, just updated um, recently as far as um, this year with CMS, as far as how they're gonna reimburse it. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to podcasts and check back soon to hear more episodes from the 2022 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Vicki Basileka from ASHP Official and thank you for all you do for your patients.